Welcome to Can I Kick It? This is a podcast about film festivals. My name is Jesse Weber, and I am joined by... Andy Kamiga. Colin Ashley. Emilio Diaz. So today we're going to start off by previewing AFI Docs, which will be happening next weekend, and then we will follow that up with a discussion of three new releases, The Vast of Night, 14, and Shirley. So, uh, before we get into those uh, agenda items, is there any other news that we want to go over that we missed last week or that has come up since then? Uh, not a a lot of news out there, really. I don't think Mm, so. No movie news. The the can announcement seems to have not had a major effect on... Things I guess like it. Yeah, some things seem no, to be. Shocker. No one not, is uh, really talking about that. I mean, there's lots of other stuff going on in the world that people we are talked more about it. Worthy that's more worthy of people's <laughs> attention. Yeah, the MTV Movie Awards are postponed. Oh yeah. Uh huh. The Five Blood sounds good. That's uh, breaking this morning. Yeah. Tune in next week. King of Staten Island as well. In. Still waiting sure. word on Artemis Fowl. Artemis Fowl, of course, was not set to play any film festivals, so we will not be talking about it. Hmm. Apart- <laughs> sure. Jesus. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just going to go down this press release we have from AFI Docs and point out some highlights. Uh So the opening night had been announced like a month ago, uh, and that is Boys State, which opened at Sundance. Winner. Mm -hmm. Yes, it won the documentary section, the U.S. documentary section. Uh, About boys in Texas uh, doing fake politics. What is real politics? Sounds like Ted Cruz. (laughs) Mm. Colin got on right there. Jeez. Nailed him to the wall. I'm just uh, closing night is going to be a movie that was set to play Tribeca called Jimmy Carter Rock and Roll President. A hell of a great title for a like documentary. It's about, it's about Jimmy Carter and his relationship to rock and roll. I'm. I'll. I'll bet it does exactly that uh i watched the dimmy jimmy carter movie that was fine (laughs) that one was called man Mm -hmm. from planes this one's sure to be a hit (laughs) yeah uh bob dylan's in it bono's in it what more could you want i do i do legitimately think jimmy carter is a very interesting figure so i i I am yeah lightly interested in checking that one out Uh, the and then the centerpiece screening is uh, the directorial follow-up to Wiener, uh, the Anthony Wiener documentary. Uh, this is called The Fight, and it's about the ACLU and basically what they've been doing during the beginning, uh, or what, during the uh, the beginning of the Trump presidency. Uh, I like Wiener, so that yeah, sounds Wiener's pretty good. interesting. 
Uh, there's a, a Ron Howard documentary that I'm not sure if it's played anywhere else. Uh, Rebuilding Paradise about uh, a lot of real self-explanatory titles about rebuilding the town of Paradise after the uh, the fires in California in Jesus was that in 2018? Sure. A year and a half ago. Feels like forever. Sorry about this truck that is beeping outside my house. <laughs> Don't they know that history uh, the is in Guggenheim the making right now? <laughs> what? Don't they know that history's in the making yeah. right now? <laughs> yep. Uh, we've got uh, Lee Grant is going to be getting the Guggenheim Symposium Award, which is it's gone to many of the major uh, documentary filmmakers out there, starting with Charles Guggenheim in 2003. Uh, you know, recent ones have gone to Alex Gibney, Werner Herzog, Laura Poitras, Steve James, who has a movie in the festival that we'll be talking about later, or uh, a series, I guess. Uh, but Lee Grant was, uh, is, uh, an actress who, uh, was involved in, uh, uh, who was blacklisted by HUAC and who, after coming back, uh, was involved in the AFI directing workshop for women and, uh, did some narrative films, but also, uh, has done several documentaries, including Down and Out in America, which apparently tied for best documentary at the Oscars. So those are those are some of the major things going on uh, in the sort of just rate the those are going to be special events that I believe will require separate tickets. Uh, you can buy a pass though that will allow you into I believe all the rest of what we're about to talk about, which is the regular features and the episodic stuff. Uh, so just going down the list alphabetically, we've got 9 to 5, The Story of a Movement, which is uh, Julia Reichert and Stephen Bognar, who directed American Factory yes. last year. Oscar uh, this... yeah. Right, it did. Uh, this is about, uh, I think, kind of a movement that uh, for gender parity in the workplace and yeah, how it's, it's a it's a more uh, of a historical it ties piece into for the them film too. nine to five yeah yeah because it's like it, the story i think mostly takes place in the 1970s so a little bit of a different yes. from them as, as, as something as yeah. as sort of so contemporary in the moment as american factory mm-hmm. yeah and that was supposed to premiere at uh, south by southwest there's another Roy Cohn documentary. I feel like there was at least one last year. Yeah. But there's another one called La- yeah. uh, Bully Coward Victim, the story of Roy Cohn. Last year's was called, I think, Where's My Roy Cohn, which is a, you know, a direct that reference to a right. thing our, the pres- President Trump has said. Um, I like how you uh, say, I think, as if you're not looking at the poster on your wall right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, the interesting thing about this one 
uh, is that the uh, director is, I guess, the granddaughter of Ethel and Julius Rosenberg, whose um, mm-hmm. execution by the state was largely uh, Roy Cohn's effort through happened largely through Roy Cohn's efforts. So that's like a very interesting angle to take on uh, telling Roy Cohn's story. So uh, who knows? Maybe it'll be interesting. Yeah, uh, there's a, a movie called Coded Bias, which I don't know about any, uh, directed by, uh, Shalini Kantaya, and I don't know anything about any of the talent involved, but, uh, it is an interesting subject. It's about how, uh, because of racial biases in the tech world, those kind of get coded in to software and so basically resulting in artificial intelligences being racist which is interesting uh god this fucking truck (laughs) bryce dallas howard's dad tip (laughs) premiere from last year we should uh, we should start exclaiming Bryce Dallas Dallas Howard's as dads as often as we can because I like that as an ex- exclamation. Yeah, I don't know. It was at TIFF last year. It was supposed to be fine, right? Sure. Yeah, she directed an episode of The Mandalorian too, so she's like got directing on the brain. Obviously, um, that's uh, I'm uh, yeah, I, I, I'm maybe interested in that. Yeah. Do we have anything else to say about Bryce Dallas Howard's dads? No, certainly not. I don't okay, know if we had great. anything to say about um, Bryce Dallas Howard's dads to begin with. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. What else have we got? We've got... Oh, there's uh, a movie that also is playing the Maryland Film Festival uh, called A Thousand Cuts about the Duterte regime in the Philippines and some of the journalists who uh, are fighting against that regime and have been labeled as uh, fake news called A Thousand Cuts by Ramona S. Diaz. Uh, good thing you said what it was about very quickly so I couldn't get my Snyder Cut joke in. Jesus. <laughs> There's a movie called White Noise about the alt-right. Uh, who's in it? Mike Cernovich is in it. Richard Spencer's in it. Uh, that sounds like a nightmare. A real murderer's row of people I want to die. <laughs> 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 And then uh, Steve James has an episodic, uh, I believe, four-episode City So Real, which is kind of a more expansive portrait of uh, Chicago than he has done in the past. He's kind of narrowed in on more things. Uh, This is about the mayoral election in 2019. It also was filmed during the trial of the police officer who killed Laquan McDonald so there's you know a lot it's it's I think just kind of weaving together what was going on in Chicago at that time uh was there anything else that stuck out to you Andy 
Uh, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I mean, they've got a couple of, like, TV shows and some a bunch of shorts. Um, yeah, a bunch of shorts. Yeah, nothing, nothing else, I don't think, that I was like, oh, this is, like, something that will definitely want to keep an eye on but but i'm de- i'm definitely excited to uh check out a bunch of stuff from here uh and hopefully we'll have a report in in, in midway through the festival and partway or after after the festival something like that uh, i do believe yeah, that steve like james that. documentary also plays sundance i don't know if that was mentioned yes yeah that is correct i believe sounds good well yep yeah be uh, glad Glad to hear you guys whenever you get, can come back with some thoughts on these movies to see what's good and what's not. Yep. Moving on. What's next? Speaking uh-huh. of thoughts on movies, <laughs> we got them, <laughs> folks. Yep. <laughs> get ready. Um. All right. So we're starting with uh, Vast of Night, right? Yep. Uh, so I'll. Um. Yeah. Wait. For a quick second, mm-hmm. can I just say, ready for thoughts? Here we go. We're gonna have takes, so make Jesus. sure you listen. What? Okay, <laughs> that was a... what you made me stop going forward <laughs> for. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I stuff. was ready to just dive into explaining what the vast of night is. You said stop. I have something <laughs> very important to contribute here. I did not and say it was important. Just I did not say it was important. I want that on the record. Even though it is already on the record because it is all being recorded as part of a podcast. Uh, uh, critical know. support right, for Andy, that bit. Please, please, please explain to me what The Vast of Night is because I, I watched it. Uh, I finished it about an hour ago and I, I don't know if I know what it is. Yeah, so the Vast of Night, uh, it um, it played at TIFF last year in Midnight Madness, um, and then I came to know it because it was nominated for uh, Best First Screenplay at the Indie Spirit Awards this year. So I am a voter for that, as discussed on an early episode, and so I first saw it in that. So it's directed by Andrew Patterson. It's written by um, Andrew Patterson, I believe, under a pseudonym, and also Craig W. Sanger. Uh, and it's um, it's sort of it's so it's framed as like a as a there's an overarching like framing device that is like we're watching Paradox Theater, which is like a, a very obvious Twilight Zone like riff. Um, and it's uh, and, but the but the episode of Paradox Theater or like the what the real like film is about is um, a uh, a small town. Uh, in New Mexico, uh, where there's, um, the whole town is basically at, like, the high school basketball game, and it's the story of, um, a young girl whose mother, like, operates the switchboard for the town's phones. It's the 1950s, um, and, um, so, uh, her mother operates the switchboard, and, uh, she also, uh, is, is friends with, um, a radio DJ, uh, and they, they start, they get together and there starts to be this sort of strange audio frequency that they're, that is coming through both on the switchboard through the phones, uh, that, um, the young girl like takes over for her mother, uh, and then also on the radio and they, 
they use they 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 communicate a lot with each other and they sort of put it out on the actual radio and see and get a few people to call in to explore what that sound is and there's like reports of like unidentified flying objects and stuff and it's like you know it's it's a real like 50s sci-fi sort of flavor um uh and uh when i first saw it uh it was i was sort of in the midst of like watching a bunch of movies for my voting jobs and i uh uh didn't hadn't heard anything in particular about it i think cullen at one point had like said like hey this sounds cool you should check it out when i was at tiff but i hadn't gotten around to checking it out tiff because partially because i was like i I can't do midnights um because i will fall asleep um and Mm -hmm. so i was really blown away when i first saw it for voting purposes and i was like wow this is really special um it's uh I was really hooked in with, like, the style and the confidence of it. It's, um, it's full of, like, long takes with, like, really fun, snappy dialogue between, most largely between these two characters. Jake Horowitz is Everett Sloan, the DJ, and Sierra McCormick is Faye Crocker, the, the young girl. Um, and I was sort of so bewitched by, by the, the style and the, the energy of it. I, I really, thought it was something that like made me sit up and pay attention to it i was i was very into it emilio i know you yeah i mean i yeah it's a lot of the same thoughts i think i appreciated the confidence of it it it, like i i mentioned yesterday that this is the first movie in a while that i sat and watched uninterrupted without breaks i was pretty hooked in which is rare for me these days with just like things happening in the world and also my destructive attention span and watching movies on my computer uh i enjoyed the style i think the look is good i've i've often been into like weird like close to the border mm-hmm. deserty sci-fi stuff i enjoy the games of remedy including alan wake's american nightmare which reminded this reminded me of a lot I I think I what I also responded to is how like uncomplicated it is. Like mm-hmm. another movie that we're gonna talk about later, surely, is a movie that I really like because of how dense and complicated it is. And I I appreciated the complete opposite about this one. It's just kind of straightforward. Most of what it's doing interesting. It's like stylistically, I enjoy the rhythms of how people talk. I think in terms of performance, they're very good at that. Just like keeping it snappy and keeping it moving it has a lot of long takes so it feels cohesive i enjoy again just the look i think the ending is pretty cool it's like obviously i don't know i i appreciate the relative simplicity of it as just yeah. like a stylistic exercise it's just like a piece of television like there's obviously like more things you can extrapolate from it like distrust of the government that sort of 40s and 50s suburban right like coming to terms with the things that are happening in this country and just like what the, what you have done and what is happening mm-hmm. that I really like that it's like you obviously you can see in stuff like David Lynch's work and uh, other people I don't I don't think that's quite doing the same thing as the, as what that does but I you, mm-hmm. there's obviously similarities in like the this the like peeling back the curtain on 40 50s, 60s Americana and yeah. I don't know, it's, it's just aesthetically very much in my wheelhouse, so, like, before the movie was anything, I was kind of on board, I will admit, right. and I really, and I just, like, really, really enjoyed the best of it. 
I know that uh, the other two people here don't feel quite the same in a way I could imagine because I I can certainly see what people could have problems with in the movie. Well, I'll just say with the caveat that uh, I just watched this and I I wasn't feeling great, so I was and maybe still am a little grumpy. Uh, That being said, I'm going to paraphrase Stanley Hyman and say that uh, had it been awful, I might have been excited, but unfortunately, (laughs) uh, competence does very little for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was like, uh, as Andy mentioned, I did I, when everyone was at TIFF. I was keeping an eye on things that, like, because I think like Andy had a spare ticket. Maybe beside the point. Uh, I heard yeah. that it was good, and I was like ready to watch it, and that uh, they like were rolling out rolling it out on uh, Amazon and uh, on. Um, drive-in theaters in the states like uh, in certain states and i was like that's cool this seems like this got that like Emilio was saying like this 50s sort of americana pastiche about it and uh i was like very ready to see it and it heard like only good things basically and then was just like let down uh and then just i thought it i mean like it's such a superficial complaint about it like it's a first movie and i feel like i can tell but it's just so ugly it looks so bad it, like <laughs> there there's a part literally of, have no idea what he's talking uh, about <laughs> i mean the I, thought it, is, I thought it looked fine i mean it looks fine but like if you're doing something like that like use like uh, make it look good like it looks so like just clearly like digital trying to be like film and uh like there's scenes that i like i think it's like a pretty fine movie uh like I, th- I think the sort of opening scene of the like how Andy was mentioning like the sort of crackling dialogue like between the two main characters I think they're giving really good performances for the most part and like the long take that everyone talks about of just this uh like Fincher-esque slow zoom on um the one of the central characters operating a switchboard is like really good and like captivating but there's also the complaint that like I've seen multiple people make or just the critique that I've seen uh, multiple people make that like, I kind of uh, uh, like, uh, like I disagree with it, like on a fundamental level, but I see their take on that. This should just be a podcast. Like it's an interesting story that is like well acted. I was about to say exactly that by uh, quoting Sam Herp's letterbox review. Which he does preface by yeah. saying that he is horrified to say it. Sure, yeah. But, it, like, I, it just did nothing for me visually for the most part. Like, I think there's, like, a few cool things, but, uh, the, like, it makes sense. Like, and then the structure of it also, of, like, framing it as, like, this opening conversation, then this, like, uh, switchboard operation and then this phone call and then like they take a break from that and like are gathering information and then they go do another interview with someone it's like easy to see how you could just like slot it into like a two episode arc or whatever like of some podcast and like i hope that either um patterson because i feel like he is like a good director it just maybe he didn't have the means like it is such a small movie that uh maybe like if he has a bigger budget he can like take this idea and make it like look nice and I am like would be excited to see what he does next but I hope that he like 
either leans in to making a movie and like making it look nice or just goes and makes like interesting narrative podcasts that I won't listen to. <laughs> I, uh, hmm. I don't, I, I yeah, I, I, I fundamentally disagree that it looks bad. I think, it, I mean, it, this is, this is like gonna sound very corny and obvious, but it's like, I think it uses the night very well. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those exact, I think, classic examples of like an indie movie using like a thing that could seem as a, seem like a, a hindrance as a positive where I think the relative simplicity of it really communicates what I think the movie is trying to do with its simple thematic of just like when you're just sitting in the middle of the night and you're just looking in or at the sky and you're just like walking down a dark like hallway you're just like you the curiosity that takes over you of just like what could happen and what's peering around the corner and what's looking at us and like th- those questions then extending out to like what is our place here? What are we doing? Like, is are the crazy people out there? Are they true? And maybe I don't have a good handle on what is real and what's not. And I think that is communicated very well through, I think, the cinematography, which, again, I do think it looks nice. I think in, in a soft agreement with Colin, I think whenever it does the thing of, like, going back to, like, the format of the TV show that is yeah. being presented at, I think that's maybe a bit much, and I don't think it looks as good as they think it does. But I do think the normal shots look good. I think, like, the basketball game looks very good, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, the costume designs, I think, are really, like, spot on and, like, period appropriate. And, like, I I don't know, I, I think I generally just, like, aesthetically like looking at that sort of period stuff. So maybe yeah. that was, like, why I was, like... If, even if it wasn't shot particularly like with flair, like I was like, well, this like there's a baseline of just like visual interest that I have in this in this area that that I that I think maybe drew me in a little bit. I mean, yeah, my my primary drawing in initially was like, yes, like oh, they're doing like long takes with like very fun overlapping dialogue and like they're really like like they've really like. They're letting their actors, like, really sit in this and giving a lot over to them. But I do think there is, like, a right. uh, a good visual sort of um, uh, attempt at, at, at communicating sort of the, like, the level of isolation that the story wants you to communicate. And I think that really comes across and you sort of feel sort of that, that sense of, like... Um, both, you know, aloneness and then, like, the comfort that comes from being able to connect with somebody else within that aloneness. I will yeah. say... Um, okay. I, I was just going to say, I think a movie... This is, I think, a classic example where I, I disagree so firmly with Colin, because I think if it was more expensive, I think I would like it less. I think what it what is good about it, and I think the smallness of it, and I think... And but, it using bits and pieces to maybe it was just like an issue maybe it was just an issue with like literally like the streaming quality over like amazon prime like it was like in like high definition you know as it streams but it looks so muddy like it's not even the smallness of it it just like looked like uh maybe like the weird um it does like is good and I like the way it is shot but the way it looks visually looks like it 
Like it's like, like a color it, correction issue or like I don't even know if it's color correction. No, no, it just no, looks. I mean, I I understand. I think it, it's a very it's a movie that's very heavy on like using light sources, as yeah. a, a light very specific. Which I think, like as Colin said, streaming compression can usually fuck with a lot and yeah. look very muddy. I watched Maybe it on a, on a downloaded copy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't. I for sure understand. I for sure understand all the criticism. Like I for sure get the people. Like I think it would be a decent podcast. I don't know. I don't think yeah. that's necessarily that much of a negative. But uh, I don't know. I enjoyed it. I I um, think I hardly recommend the watch. I would say also just like to agree with Andy. I am usually into this sort of um, like stylistic approach of like the sixties and seventies Americana like uh, stylism of it. I would recommend a very similar movie in theme, uh, but maybe directed by someone like maybe not fair to compare because I it was their third feature. But Richard Kelly's The Box does like the similar Twilight Zone. I think it takes place in the seventies in like uh, Virginia, and it is so much better. Uh, and I think if you guys liking this, you might get a lot of enjoyment out of that. Maybe. I, I don't really actually get a Twilight Zone vibe off of this movie. I don't know. Uh, seemed kind of straightforward to me. I mean, I think Twilight... As a person who did not grow up with Twilight Zone and only came to, like, understand and watch them recently, they seem extraordinarily straightforward to me. Which is I what guess I appreciate so. I guess so. I, I don't have a ton of familiarity with the Twilight Zone either. I just uh, but know, yeah, I don't know. No. I didn't, I, yeah, I didn't like that, like, TV show, whatever, framing device. No, yeah, like, the framing device is... Yeah, I think that movie. that is, like, yeah, I think it, I would agree that that's the... The opening of it is of fine, and, like, even if he wanted to close it with it, it's fine. I think, like, the cutting back to the TV screen in the middle just makes me feel like I'm watching, like, a TV movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would agree, but I, uh, as I've said multiple times, I think what I enjoyed about this movie is that it did seem like a, it seemed inconsequential like a TV movie. But that for sure seems like something that, like, he maybe wrote this script and then at some point somebody told him that he put, had to put, like, a Twilight Zone thing in so people would understand what it's doing. Which is, uh, right. slightly disappointing, but I enjoyed the movie regardless. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's fine if you're, like, interested, like... Of anyone's like listening that hasn't seen it to this point, like if you're interested in that sort of like zone that a movie can operate in, like it's like a 90 minute movie, it's like worth checking out if you're interested in. Yeah, you won't, and I, I will I, also I say, like my yeah. time was wasted. The other thing I will also say, yeah, as like a 90 minute movie that like was made for almost no money that stars people you have never heard of, I do think the acting is very good in it, which is yeah. often not the case in that sort of situation. Uh, they. Yeah. They, yeah, the, the, both Jake Horowitz and Sierra McCormick, I think, are really fun. Um, it's a it's a movie that weirdly does like girl who's into STEM correctly, and that it's like not cloying and, and 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 overbearing at all. But like, it's I think it's like sort of a fun representation of that type, especially given the the fifties time period. Uh, yeah, and I I really I think that the actors um, are, are are very good in it. Yep, I mean. For a, a small final thought, I will say that I mostly do agree that it's just like, it does seem like somebody's first movie where it's just like trying a lot of stuff mm-hmm. and I su- and he'll maybe make better, more interesting or like fully fleshed out movies in the future. But I am, I was just currently in the mood for something that wasn't fleshed out or deep. <laughs> yeah. 
I also will say that probably my interest being held that much is in a like watching it on a on a like a pretty good computer monitor with good earphones on might be actually be like the best way to watch it instead of watching it on a television because there's a lot of like low-key sound stuff that it does that you might lose on not great tv speakers yeah that's uh, like yeah i i thought yeah i i just watched it on my tv and ha- had a little bit of trouble with the sound so i I will have Bluetooth headphones and uh, a receiver arriving later today, so I hopefully won't have that problem in the future. Yeah. Yeah. That's like another sort of like point, quote unquote, in the podcast favor is that it is such like a densely audio design movie. And like they clearly like want you to think about the sounds like as like the opening is like establishing basically what the movie's going to be. But yeah, but yeah, it is uh you know streaming on Prime, uh, and I think yeah we're, we're definitely yeah, worth checking out. One of my favorites of the year. Download so it. Don't support Amazon. <laughs> sure. Watch download it. However, watch it. However, you feel good morally. Yes. Yeah. Download it and see if you can like Venmo Patterson or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the town of Patterson. Exactly. The director of this film. Yes. See, Jim Jarmusch right. directing we... this. Um. Uh, so, do you guys want to talk? Yeah. Do you, you guys want to talk fourteen, and then we can. Yeah, I was gonna say. I have not watched yeah. fourteen. I think I think the main the main thing that I want to do is just heartily recommend it. I watched it last night, and I. I feel like there's a lot of richness that I am still uh, processing. Uh, I, I I would like to maybe talk about it more uh, somewhere down the line, and I have some thoughts about it, but I think we can do some preliminary discussion of it now. Uh, 14 is the story of uh, two women who uh, meet each other in... It starts with them as adults, but they had met each other in middle school and remained friends into adulthood. And one of them, uh, the a little more the main character, is uh, fairly functional and kind of and, and and in contrast to the other, who is largely not functional for various reasons and it's about that relationship and how it evolves and not to spoil too much but eventually kind of dissolves and yeah I just think it's this really really moving portrait of these two women uh, played by Tally Medal and Norma Kulig who are both both really phenomenal. Uh, I, I don't think we've said it's directed by Dan Salit. This is his fourth movie, maybe. He's also, uh, if any of you follow the Scandies, the awards that uh, Mike D'Angelo runs, uh, he is uh, a voter in those, and he's done plenty of film writing of his own. We're probably going to be talking about Hong Sang Soo movies within the next few weeks to a month because uh, of the kind of rash of 
new releases and restorations, uh, but uh, Cinema Guild put together a group of essays on yourself and yours in honor of that's release, and one of those essays is by Salit, uh, and he's someone who I'm really curious now to see more of his movies. Uh, but yeah, I just... Was this the first of his you'd seen, Jesse? This is the first movie as his I've seen. Uh, and yeah, I just think it's really specific, but it's really... I think the portrayal of mental illness is done in a way that I have not quite seen before and really responded to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I watched it this morning. I, I liked it a lot. Um, I sort of, in, in contrast to Vast of Night, Vast of Night is like an all-in-one-night, almost-takes-place-in-real-time movie. This is a movie that spans, like, a decade, uh, and it... Yeah, it, I should have said, in terms of, like, the editing, it, like, yeah. uh, you know, you, you, when when there's a cut, you don't know if you're going uh, later that day or, like, several a couple of years into the future yeah and i really responded to like that confidence to do that very yeah. well like without chirons or whatever to like telling you when it was and and, and all that aspect mm-hmm. um i did think the two central performances were very good um it's sort of i mean superficially it sort of has a little bit of like you know the, the uh, scratches a little bit of the itch i got from like hbo's girls when girls was at its best um in just that it's about like young like 20 late 20 something women in new york um uh, it it is a great new york movie i think you sort of get a good taste Mm -hmm. of like a lot of what it is like to be in and around new york and and just living your life as Mm -hmm. a person who is like early career and and definitely is not like you know you're you're not you're not rolling in money or anything and uh but you're you're still able to occasionally like enjoy the the benefits of the city but also have to deal with like the restrictions that are like you know the the lack of space and all that sort of thing um Mm uh yeah i think it's really good you know the i think i think cullen and i have similar reservations about the ending Mm -hmm. which we're not gonna get into right now i think um, there's like a yes. big moment of catharsis that I'm not sure super lands for me. Um, but, uh, other than that, yeah, I think, I definitely think it's well worth checking out. I think those, those are two actresses to definitely keep an eye on. I don't think I've seen them in anything else. Um, and yeah, uh, uh yeah. Norma Kulig, basically, uh, her only credit is on, uh, like a couple of shorts and then I think, uh, a bunch of episodes of Chicago Med. Sure. And then Tally Medal, uh, she was in The Unspeakable Act, which is uh, Dance Elite's last movie. She also is a member of uh, Cocoon Central Dance Squad, which is like a, a, a kind of weird, arty dance group. They performed a couple of times on the Chris Gethard show. There was a, uh, like, a 60-minute, I want to say it was maybe on HBO or Amazon or something that they did called Snowy Bing Bongs that was produced by the Daniels uh, maybe two or three years ago. Uh, Sunita Mani has also is in that group and also has uh, 
done some acting. She's in uh, Madeline's Madeline as uh, kind of the main assistant to the Molly Parker character. So that's a that's a kind of interesting group that has been kind of involved in the comedy world, involved in some more indie film stuff that uh, I think. Uh, anything that they are involved in, it makes me a little more interested in checking it out. Yeah, and I guess um, my thoughts on it are, like, it's very easy to see, like, that uh, Salit is a big fan of Hong Sing-soo. There's a lot of similar energy, like, especially Mm -hmm. in the way of, like, how it does time jump without letting you know at all. That's the sort of, like, Hong Sing-soo, he'll do sort of similar... um, like uh Mm -hmm. surrealist approach to like normal like mundanity or whatever um i kind of like despite really loving a lot of the performance uh i kind of have to push back on thinking that they're incredible i think both of the lead actors get like a scene sort of and i think the movie is so low-key for the most of like the runtime that those moments just stick out as like actory in a way that I kind of like wasn't able to get fully on board with, especially the ladder of the blow ups. The scene ha- at the end. Yeah, happens after the movie should have ended at least twice. It's got sort of like a Spielberg problem. Um Yeah, I I definitely watching especially I know the two points at which you're saying it should have ended. I think especially after the first of those I definitely thought, oh, this should be the last scene, but I found that the catharsis really worked for me, and uh, I would look at uh, Mike D'Angelo's review on uh, Letterboxd, because he, I think, shares some of those reservations and uh, talked to Salid about it a little bit because they're friends, and he okay. he leads off the review with that, uh, uh, making that known. But uh, I think it didn't necessarily allay his issues, but I think it uh, helped kind of gain a little bit of a greater understanding, and I would maybe even like to revisit it thinking about uh some of that review and some of uh the little bit of what he says about uh his conversation with Salit. but yeah i do think for the most part like it is a like very nice like sort of uh stu- like touching movie about like that feeling of having a friend that like kind of keeps getting in their own way like despite your best efforts like the lead character of the two basically is like uh kind of like a type a personality uh and like is very like active in the friend like the other uh leads life right she's like very much uh, support structure in her life uh yeah but just like that sort of uh feeling of like um trying to help someone who like is in a way their own worst enemy and like the frustrations that come with that. I thought it was a nice portrayal of that feeling. Well, I didn't love the movie as much as Jesse did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I do th- like, yeah, I, I am like 
always so in the bag for any movie that's like an examination of the nature of friendship uh and i think that's like rich material that we don't necessarily see tackled enough in 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 films and television well a little more in television Mm -hmm. but not as often in films i feel like um uh and uh, yeah and that combined with like with the ambitious like time-based sort of storytelling stuff uh, i do that does ultimately lead me down to like the strong recommend side on, on on this movie um it is one this is one that is currently uh in doing the like art house digital release model so um mm-hmm. it's grasshoppers distributing it right yeah yeah uh so if you if you check like you can either check your local art house see if they're offering it or go to grasshoppers website directly uh and they like list all the art houses that they're currently yeah. partnering with and so you can choose one of those and and rent it for for th- for 3 days um i'll say uh, uh similar to me recommending the box with vas of night uh, I recommend uh, Jane Campion's Two Friends. It's her first movie that was originally a TV movie, but then I think it ended up playing Can. Uh, and it's a very I didn't I didn't like connect these dots when I was watching it, but you literally saying like a movie about like two friends. I was like, oh, uh, it's the movie starts and it's these two estranged like high school girls, and the movie plays their friendship in reverse and shows like how they became friends in the first place and does similar time jumps, this with more like uh-huh. traditional chirons and everything. But it's a very, uh, I think it'd be a very interesting companion piece to this movie, seeing it from both angles and like sort of different ages of like uh, friendship between two women. Mm-hmm. Cool. Now I gotta come up with a double feature for Shirley on my feet. I got the double feature for Shirley. I think I do also. I wonder if we're on the same boat. Well, I think there's, as I said in my review, I think there's kind of two, two traditions that it's pulling from. Uh, so I went with, I, I, I'm specifically thinking of one of those that has more of a specific touchstone. Uh, Would you like to introduce yeah. Shirley? Yes, let's us? formally transition yeah. into talking about Shirley then. <laughs> sure. Who wants to uh, give a little introduction? Emilio? <laughs> uh, sure. Shirley is the new film by Josephine Decker, who was most, who is probably most known for directing Madeline's Madeline a couple of years ago that was kind of her bigger breakthrough uh and it's a sort of biopic but mo- actually a an adaptation of a novel written about a period in the life of author Shirley Jackson's life it it is about a couple of grad students who come in to move with Shirley Jackson and her husband and a lot of psychological manipulation goes on throughout, and the the lines of reality are blurred as Shirley tries to write her newest novel about the disappearance of a young woman on campus and the way that intersects with the young people on campus that have moved in with her, her relationship to her husband, and her relationship to the world, which seems to be increasingly tense, is explored. And I believe we all quite enjoyed it, right? Yeah, yeah, I like it quite a bit. I I think we also all found it very dense and are still in the process of unpacking it, maybe. I think what, what struck me, as I was saying, is how it kind of 
draws from two different traditions, one of which I think of kind of defined by persona of the kind of often to women, though something similar was done with the, the lighthouse last year with two men of uh, kind of taking their personas, confusing them a little bit, uh, showing their relationship. And then the other one is, uh, I think, of Cronenberg's Naked Lunch, which is uh, kind of going at an author by kind of uh, using fiction. And sort of, that's not necessarily... Naked Lunch is more explicitly kind of doing both a biopic and an adaptation of uh, Burroughs' work. That's not exactly what this is doing, but kind of uh, working both in the biopic world and the adaptation world, even though it's not uh, adapting any of uh, Jackson's work. Uh, though there are elements well, of, of yeah. the stories that he right. has written that are yes. weaved into the plot yes. of Shirley. Yes. So it's not a completely incorrect, but I do understand the distinction you're making. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I just think that to do both of those things at once is like something that would never occur to me and is absolutely fascinating and is something that I will absolutely have to uh, uh, want to revisit. I mean, I I wish that the first time that I'd seen it had been in a theater, but the fact yeah. that it is on Hulu and I'll be able to continue to revisit it for a while is nice. All right, after a little break, I think we're ready to finish up our discussion of Shirley. Uh, yeah, what else do people have to say about it? Well, well stars, okay. Elizabeth Moss, uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> Michael Stuhlbarg, Odessa yeah. Young, and Logan Lerman. Yes. Those, yeah, that's, that's the main part. Right, yeah, Robert Wool's in it. Um, it. So, yeah, I mean, Jesse talked about, you know, his, the th- the influences he saw in it. I think the obvious influence that a lot of people sort of picked up on and have talked about e- even since, like, the trailer is, like, Who- Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf vibes from it, just right. in that it's about, like, an older, established academic couple and, like, a younger academic couple and, like, them coming together and, like, having a strong impact on each other. Uh, so that, like, it definitely feels like it's playing into the equation. Um... Yeah, I so yeah, I I had to watch this one twice both because of how dense it was and also just cuz you know, uh the first time through I felt like I I wasn't able to give it the focus it deserved perhaps uh uh not necessarily the film's fault, uh just, you know, the world. Um and uh yeah, I I the second viewing really did clarify a lot for me in all the various plot threads tying together, right? Like, because there's, like, the plot thread about Shirley 
trying to write her new novel, which is um, sort of an exploration of a true story of a young woman who went missing. And then also the story of Odessa Young's character, who is like this the, the, this young woman who surely perhaps associate, associating with the young woman who disappeared. Uh, and, and, and the early stuff of like, uh, of relationships between men and women and like the power structures and the patriarchal elements that like that that tie into that there's also a fair amount of like mental illness stuff uh, t- uh tied in with it there's there there is like a lot going on in this and i think it's one that definitely rewards like digging in and thinking about messing around with it and thinking about it a lot and, and viewing it a couple times colin you got thoughts uh yeah, I, mostly um I did not watch it twice. Um but I did uh really appreciate it. Um and like uh the movie that like maybe like a very like superficial almost film brewery opinion uh is it reminded me a lot of The Master. Um in both the relationship between uh Moss and Odessa Young's character and then also like Stuhlbarg and Logan Lerman and then maybe even like Stuhlbarg and Odessa Young in a way um you know they uh Moss and Young obviously uh, have a much more physical relationship than is fully explored in the master uh but it's a similar like butting of heads and like uh you know, um, ingenue, uh, mentor relationship. Uh, but the main takeaway and maybe like, uh, the bad takeaway to have like on a movie that is such like, uh, has these like powerhouse, uh, performances from its two leads in Moss and Odessa Young, Michael Stuhlbarg knocks it out of the park. He's so good. I can't stop thinking about him. He's really good. Yeah, I mean, I agree. He is a good actor who is good always, and he's good in this movie. Yeah, I think like if we're we're all supposed to like bring like movie comparisons to this one, I don't really have one apart that it just reminded me of like it's just like an interesting expansion of the stuff she did in Madeline Madeline about like mm-hmm. the a certain selfishness and exploitation that it surrounds art and the way it's made and just like older guard people having to like try to trying to control the newer generations it's like how they can can or can't express themselves or like trying to proclaim themselves the genius over other people's work and lording over experience and older and like the sort of um benefits that people have that a younger generation might have that they didn't have and lording that sort of stuff over her the way that in which the like molly parker and helena howard's relationship in in madeline madeline if you could map it very easily to the sort of stuff that shirley and what is the name of the younger character rose rose Rose, Rose, yeah yeah. rose's relationship uh, the elizabeth moth and odessa young also, like, also, I mentioned before, uh, uh, Michael Stuhlbarg and Logan Lerman's relationship, and I've been, I would be interested to see that thematic link explored further in her work. I think she's very good at it. I think she's very good at 
capturing that sort of selfishness that surrounds creating something and just like the movie obviously if it had makes attempts to like link Shirley's work with her life and the way she sees but I and I think it mostly does that very successfully as a way to show just like Shirley is incapable of seeing the world around her as not like maybe potential stuff for a story and uh, Michael Stuhlbarg's character is incapable of looking at Logan Lerman's character without being like, this is the new young hot model that is coming to replace me, both academically and also the women I might be sleeping around with. And uh, I just find it very generationally fascinating. I think it looks great. I yeah. There are some... It looks very period appropriate also uh, it uses some very particular frames in a way similar to Madeline's Madeline again to just like capture the eye and question the fabric of reality and like the que- the lines between what is art and expression versus what is a reality you have to exist in and I think it's a good movie that everybody should watch yeah, yeah it's-, it's a different oh go ahead no you go uh, so it's a different cinematographer than Madeline's Madeline but it's a very similar style uh, they do this sort of like vignette like uh, fuzzy halo around the actors that I think is like works well, especially as Amelia was saying, like in this era. Um, and the, also maybe something to bring up is that I was not very into Madeline's Madeline. Uh, and I, I think uh, what has been said about that of like how um, like totemic uh, in a way that the um, uh, Helena Howard performance is in that movie, it's like something truly to behold and like deserves all the recognition that is it has gotten the rest of the performances of that movie specifically for me i don't really jive with it all especially the molly parker character and um Ugh. and uh, um i know this is another jesse fave that i'm gonna be sort of dumping I'm, on yeah but, I mean, uh, i'm i'm glad that you needed to uh make a point of letting everyone know how wrong you are yeah <laughs> but also like i think maybe like too much of like a superficial personal level the world of madeline's madeline and this experimental theater troupe could not be less interesting to me i have no um (laughs) interest in experimental theater at all um so like beyond that performance of helen uh, howard i think that movie has like it looks nice and i think decker is a talented director this movie uh, uh surely it's not her script um and i think I, it's been too long uh, since I've seen Madeline's Madeline to say that it shows, but this is like much funnier than I remember Madeline's Madeline being, and also um, it's like mostly taken all the stuff that I did like from Madeline's Madeline aside from the Howard performance, uh, and transpose it onto this story that I find more interesting with like a more stacked cast of compelling performances, uh, and also like me being sort of a sucker for this like time period as we talked about a little bit with Vast of Night I think it's like you know can be like easily compared to like especially with Moss and it can be compared to like a Mad Men style of just like um you know the cat eye glasses and I think you know that also harkens back to the uh who's afraid of Virginia Woolf aspect that Andy was talking about um but yeah I think like there's the line where uh, Stuhlberg is talking about reading Shirley's uh, manuscript, and he's like, it's fucking gorgeous. I have a few notes, and it's, like, so funny. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll counter that. I think it's quite good, and maybe will grow for me, but it's 
very much know Madeline's Madeline. It's it's not. It's definitely not that good in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's about on the same level as Madeline's Madeline for me. Uh, I yeah, I sort of yeah. We were talking a little bit about the look of it. It's it definitely has the same style that that very impressionistic sort of quick cuts, big close ups, lots of. Uh, you know, lots of, like, swooping going on sort of feeling that I associate with that. Um, just to speak a little bit specifically about the Elizabeth Moss performance, which I don't think we have that much yet. Uh, she, it, it is, you know, she's obviously been on, like, a huge role, like, basically since Bad mm-hmm. Men started. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe even before, depending on how you think about her work on The West Wing. Um, uh, the, uh it's a different mode from her i think than we have necessarily seen i don't think i've seen everything she's done but i've seen a lot of what she's done and though like it feels like she has like lowered her center of gravity in this perform <laughs> like she like feels so solid and like um like just like the force of her i think is is it, but not in the same way that she is in her smell where she is also like a force to be reckoned with but like feels like very up to me, this one feels like she's much more, you know, she's, she, a lot of the things that are explored are, like, her, like, witch tendencies and, like, her, yeah. her connection with the earth. And I really feel that through, like, the physicality of her performance and the way that she has adjusted her voice and everything. I think it's a really cool performance. It's maybe not my favorite Elizabeth Voss performance, but it does just sort of continue to show that she has just a tremendous amount of range and can do all sorts of different things. I yeah, mean, as- I was gonna say the way I would I would think about it and I would describe it is that like her smell, every scene it's like she's gonna crash through the wall Kool Aid Man style, and in Shirley it, it's like every time you look at her you're just like oh she's gonna fall to the ground isn't she yeah it's like yeah. it's a miracle she's standing up every second she's on screen yeah which is also uh, just like in comparison to how good she is in from this year Invisible Man. In, like, mm-hmm. a very different mode, but also, like, she's just one of our best actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that. I mean, I'll agree that it is it is in kind of a similar mode to her smell, but a very much a very, an interesting variation on that. Yeah. If it was just, like, the those people deserve a show speech as the whole performance. Yep. She's, uh... She's extremely good at acting, it turns out. All that, uh... Mm-hmm. Yeah. All that West Wing practice, as Andy pointed out. <laughs> um, what else do we have to say about Shirley? Is there anything else? Oh, I, I think I was going to bring this up earlier, but I I will say I am curious about re-watching Madeline's Madeline. Because the thing about Madeline's Madeline that I've been thinking about recently is that I think it's a decent movie about, like, a white liberal woman just, like, championing this diverse young person and being like, look at this person, how good they are, while also being extremely controlling and diminishing to their work in a way Mm. that I've been thinking a lot recently. Mm -hmm. So I'd be curious to rewatch Madeline's Madeline right now. Yeah. That is interesting. Um... Also, the Tamar Kali score is very, very good. Love yes, the score yes, in this one. Score. A lot of good scores this week. Score. I think I liked I, all I, the score in Vesta Night a lot, too. Good good, good music for both of them. And there's yeah. uh, no very, music very for diff- score in 14. Yeah. Which is also good. 
would you say that New York is the score of Fortnite? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and music by you the city of New York, movie. baby. I don't remember anyone in 14 ordering a big pizza pie, but I guess it's a good New York movie. <laughs> it's a good outer borough. Yeah. Yes, definitely, yeah. That house at the end, especially, right? When, yeah, when when she ducks into that one bakery on their walk without telling her is very good. Um, yeah. Uh, all right, back to Shirley. Um, uh, yeah, I... I, um, I do think... Uh, it was interesting. The end, I think, I don't quite have a reading on, like, yeah. the, the totality of what I think happens at the end of Shirley. Like, it's there's a lot of s- stuff that feels like it is suggesting maybe things that are in slight contrast to each other. It is not very spelled out, and I think purposefully so. Um, it's definitely one where I, like, am thinking a lot about, like, what do I draw... F- from that ending what do i conclude as far as like what actually happened in the story of the movie and also like what is the impact of telling it in that style sort of have do you guys have any thoughts about that uh i was my thought is mostly that i don't have a real grasp on it either (laughs) yeah agreed well, if any of our um of our, our our listeners have seen the movie and have thoughts on the ending in particular, I think that's something we would definitely look uh, be happy to hear from people about. Because like, cause yeah, yeah, like I said, it, there's a lot that goes on, a lot that is potentially suggested and 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 implied, and like as far as like what actually is happening on happening there, whether it it matters or not, what is real or not, I think is maybe up to you. But please, if you have some thoughts about the ending specifically, I would I would love to hear hear them. Yeah, tweet your talk- letterbox reviews at us. Yeah, you're talking uh, so about. Um, go ahead. Uh, I that I wasn't just doing something real quick, but I think my basic reading on the ending is, is, is I think, the very obvious. So it's like, well, the real version of Rose is is doing this, and the fake version of Rose that exists only in Shirley's head is dying, and it's like that sort of contrast is, I think, my very basic reading on it. But I'd be interested. To see a more full reading that incorporates everything that had happened in the movie. Yeah. That, especially, like, that big climax, like, leading up to the cliff and, like, after she has the baby. uh, I think it, like, purposefully is blurring the lines a bit between what's real and what's fake. As it surely gets my uh, heartiest recommendation of the three movies we talked about. (laughs) So... That it for this week? I think so. Next week, uh, the Five Bloods. Yep. Yep. And Maybe, then, um... <laughs> yes. So next week we're we're gonna be talking about the Five Bloods. Uh, and, and um, I don't know. Do we have any other side topics for next week, or is it all gonna be that King of Staten Island? Oh right, sure. I assume that some of you guys are gonna watch that. I mean, uh. Before next week's main episode, there's probably going to be a dispatch from me on uh, mostly shorts playing at the Maryland Film Festival. Uh, m- most of what's happening at uh, um, at Maryland Film Festival this coming weekend is uh, it's a lot of the shorts are opening to closer to the beginning of the festival. Uh, Crestone will be opening, I believe, on... Saturday, uh, and we're gonna 
yeah, we're going to have a little more exploration of that on that dispatch. Uh, look for that maybe on Tuesday next week. Cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, a couple... Be excited for more Crestone talk. Some interesting stuff will be on the feed soon. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, so some sp- shorter stuff coming up. Uh, yeah, then and we've got we've got some exciting main feed stuff coming up as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's it you know all July all June long rather we're we're gonna be bringing you bringing you great content. Uh, I don't know. This is feeling very generic and forced. I'm sorry, listeners. Um, and then we're gonna call it in right. uh, for all of July. Yeah. No, that's not true. <laughs> Lazy we're, summer. Yeah. Yes. Um. Okay, so shall I start plugging? Or go for it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm Andy Germuga. I've been you know, one of your co hosts. You can follow me on online at Andy T Germ on all social media platforms. Uh yeah, I don't think I have anything else specific to plug this week. Um just uh, come and find me and be my online friend. Colin? Uh I will um Again, plug uh, the website Black Lives Matters with an S dot C A R R D dot co. Uh, the you know over uh, all encompassing resource for donations still uh, and fighting for equality. So if you can give money or give your time at all, yes, that's a great resource for that watched the marx brothers duck soup what a laugh right that movie is can't recommend it enough jesse uh you can find me at jp glick weber on twitter letterbox weber has two b's you can find the podcast on twitter at can i kick it spelled the same way as the name of the podcast without spaces you can add the letters O and D, and you will find us on Letterbox. Uh, yeah. Cool. Uh, I'm Emilio. I, I'm at I'm a Laugh Alone on Twitter. I Laugh Alone on Letterbox. Follow podcast like it's 1999 on Twitter. Wow. Um, Rival podcast. <laughs> Come on now. Only one of us pays Emilio, so I think they've earned their All right to All podcasts are to be our rivals. Friends. Uh-huh. Um, that one especially. You hear that cereal? They yeah. do pay my bills. And, um, yeah, that's about it. Donate money. Keep rioting. See you next week. All right. With that, I will go ahead and release our audience. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Peace of garbage. <laughs>